it's a new year. It is a time for planning and plotting and dreaming and preparing. It's also a time where a lot of us put pressure on ourselves to do all the things. The things we said we would do last year that we didn't do. I used to have um, a daily planner and it would have space for each day for you to write your list of things to do. And I went through kind of a really long season in my life where every morning I would sit down and copy the list from the day before of the things that I said I was going to do that I didn't actually accomplish. And you would think that as I did that, I would feel like, doggone it, today's the day. We're going to knock these things out. And really what it did um, was make me feel like a deflated balloon. That every day when I copied down the same tasks that I hadn't already done, I didn't feel motivated. I felt discouraged and sad and mm, disappointed in myself. So, on that bright and sunshiny note, this episode of the Whipstitch podcast is all about how to defeat that feeling, how to defeat perfectionism, how to avoid avoiding things by allowing ourselves to do things inexpertly. I'm your host, Deborah Mobis. Welcome to the Whipstitch podcast, where we are thinking about sewing. Thanks for listening. January is, it can be gloomy outside, but it feels bright and filled with possibility on the inside. I, I mean, I love office supplies anyway, but I love a new planner. There is something about it that feels like a promise. Um, and I am tapping into that promise every time I crack it open and start on a fresh new page. Um, so I actually love January. I, um, I'm also a gardener. And so there's a part of me years ago that had to embrace what winter is really all about. Um... And <laughs> if you want to like really nerd out with me for a second, I actually learned this from The Great Gatsby. So I was a high school English teacher for a while, but I was also a high school English student for a while. And The Great Gatsby was the first book I ever read in school where I believed the teacher when the teacher said, and in this passage, the author was trying to dot, dot, dot. Because every other book before that, when the teacher was like, and the author's intention here, I was like, okay, <laughs> yeah, that's what the author was doing. I just had this gut sense that what was really happening was people who read this work of fiction later had kind of put their own thing on it. And I didn't buy the idea that the author had intentionally put all these symbols, all this hidden meaning. I was like, okay until I read The Great Gatsby, which has a lot of, I mean, it's got, it's wall-to-wall -wall symbols. It's a very short book. It is wall-to-wall -wall symbols. Uh, you know, God bless F. Scott Fitzgerald, the only person on the planet that Hemingway said had a problem with alcohol. So just unpack that for a minute. Um, but lots and lots of symbolism, wall-to-wall -wall symbolism in The Great Gatsby, and a lot of it is seasonal. And, and one of the things that he capitalizes on in The Great Gatsby, um, turned my understanding of symbolism on its head. That I had grown up thinking that spring was rebirth, and summer was the lush fullness of growth, and fall was, what was fall? Like, winter was always death. Except what we learn from The Great Gatsby and the way he presents it is that fall, autumn, is actually death, and winter is sleep. It is preparation. It is this this quiet time of of taking the nutrients of the autumn, internalizing them in order to turn around and feed the rebirth of spring. And I'd never thought about winter that way before. I mean, I don't. I am cold all the time, all the time, all the time. So I thought of winter as why, 
Why do we even have winter? Why are we here? Fall was, you know, when we're getting all these nutrients. No, fall is about death, but death feeds rebirth. And in between, we have to prepare. So every January now, I think about The Great Gatsby. And I think about this idea of, you know, everything that I did last year, it didn't die, it fertilized. So all the plans and all the thinking and all the preparing that I did last year is now underground. And in this sort of gloomy weather, I have the opportunity to utilize all of that as fertilizer to prepare for what comes next. The thing is that when I open up that brand new planner and I look at these beautiful blank pages and they, they lie so flat, you know, like here we go, and nothing's, nothing's been written on yet, nothing's like bowed up or crinkly, it's just these perfect flat pages. It is very difficult not to be hard on myself. It's very difficult not to say, this is the year I failed last year. I dropped the ball last year. I let myself down last year. You know, like my inside voice really isn't all that kind. So it's very hard for me to like make all these plans and kind of cast a vision for the coming year without being hard on myself for the things that didn't get done last year. And it's this inherent perfectionism that I want to talk about on this episode of our podcast, because I notice it in so many of us. It isn't just me. I'm not the only one who looks at that blank planner and and sort of like feels a tightening in my gut where this time I have to get it right. So I'm going to tell you a story of a sewing project that took me almost a decade, one project, almost a decade, where my own perfectionism and my own like internal gut clenching and churning nearly stopped me from growing, nearly damaged a relationship that really couldn't afford to be damaged, and taught me so much about who I am and who I want to be. I want to talk about how perfectionism can spoil a year before it has begun, but we can avoid it with just a little bit of grace and a little bit of patience where we recognize that sometimes the season you're in is building fertilizer. It isn't about growing today, it's about growing tomorrow. And that means that you have to prepare the soil before you can plant the seed. When my oldest child graduated from high school, my husband and I took her and her best friend on a spring break trip to New York City. We actually had, I mean, bribed is a strong word, but we had challenged her. We'd said, listen, here's the thing. If you get straight A's the second semester of your, or the first semester, the first semester of your senior year, then in the spring, for spring break, we will take you and your bestie, fly to New York City for a week, just us. Um, and our concern was that she had developed an early onset senioritis. So we thought, well, okay, well, we're going to offer this carrot. And it got to the end of the first semester, and she did not have straight A's. She actually had all A's and one B. And so the part of me that's like legalistic thought, you know, so that's that, right? She did not accomplish the challenge, and so she doesn't get the reward. Um, and because my husband and I both were raised in pretty legalistic homes growing up, we were on the same page. And then a friend called us out, thank goodness, and said, you know, what are you really teaching here? Right? Like, I understand that your goal is to say, here was the challenge and you didn't meet the challenge. But what you're really saying is, uh, don't bother trying next time. Because if you get really, really, really close and you miss the goal by one point, then you fail. And so the message there really is, you know, why bother trying at all? And we both were super convicted by that and thought, oh, gosh, okay. So we <laughs> we told her, here's the thing. You know, she came to us very, very upset. I, you know, I've got this one B. I'm like two points from an A. I've missed, the, I've missed this reward by two points. And we said, so here's what we want you to do. We want you to make us a PowerPoint presentation and convince us that even though you missed it by two points you should still get this reward. And, you know, between you and me and maybe her as an adult now, 
um the she all she had to do was put together a powerpoint like it didn't even have to have cogent arguments like we just wanted her to demonstrate that she wanted it badly enough that she was willing to stand up and lobby on her own behalf but she actually put together this like fantastic powerpoint that was hilarious and we were so proud of her and so glad and in the end we said good for you all right here's the thing it's all yours we're going to new york city and that really made an impact on me what our friend said our friend was telling us it's not about being perfect it isn't about flawlessly meeting the goal it is a hundred percent about how much effort you put into it which makes the rest of this story kind of ironic um because that's just like the intro that's just like how we got to this big sewing project when my oldest child graduated from high school we took her and her best friend on a spring break trip to new york city she earned this reward she did not earn it with perfectionism she earned it with guts and heart and passion while we were there i convinced the two of them to take a detour with me to mood fabrics um, I bought this, I bought a lot of fabric, big surprise. Um, I brought an empty suitcase for that purpose. And one of the pieces of fabric that I discovered, because I went in without any sewing projects in mind. Um, and so I, I really was 100% browsing. And I found this piece of truly beautiful navy blue linen. And as soon as I touched it, it felt like a men's sport coat. I asked my husband, if he would like a summer sport coat from this beautiful fabric. I wanted to challenge myself. I wanted to try sewing menswear, something I'd never done before. I love making things for my people. Um, and a sport coat felt bold. It felt like this huge gift to offer. Um, it felt like this huge challenge. Um, and he seemed cautiously enthusiastic. <laughs> and I think any of us who sew and have ever sewed for somebody we care about know exactly what cautious enthusiasm looks like so the yardage comes home with me in my carry-on bag i was nervous um, but at the time i felt confident and i was convinced i could make this happen you're probably hearing what i'm hearing for the first time as i'm saying this um which is the parallels between challenging my child to get straight a's and me buying this fabric i didn't hear them at the time people i'm only hearing it now so take that take that as you will I wanted to do such a good job on this sewing project. You know what that's like, right? You, you look at the pattern and, and it is a blank planner page. All you see is possibility. Um, I had zero trailing, training in tailoring. Um, I had a Vogue pattern for a men's sport coat and a whole lot of excitement. That is what I had. I had a whole lot of January, metaphorically speaking. So I figured I would work systematically. I'd figure out the kinks as I went along. I was going to blog it to keep myself accountable, you know, from planning it to cutting it to making a muslin. Um, and for the first, you know, 40% of the steps along the way, that is what I did. And then that is where I got stuck. I sew the muslin out of actual muslin. So I you know, got out the pattern, I checked the measurements, I read through the instructions, I traced the pattern pieces, I cut out the muslin out of actual muslin, and I finally got up the nerve, once it was all basted together, to ask my husband to try it on. So looking back, I can see, I have, there's enough distance because this was like 10 years ago. There's enough distance for me to see how much feeling I had put into this garment, how much emotional weight was riding on it. I wanted to do something. I wanted to make something wonderful. I wanted to impress and thrill my husband. I wanted him to be delighted. But this was my very first try. I didn't know if it would be any good. And I had picked, for whatever reason, the hardest person to please on the planet. Someone who had worn dozens and dozens of sport coats in his life. Someone who had very specific feelings about the fit and the feel of this particular garment. Not, not, not like all garments, but this garment, right? This is like, I don't know, like I, you know, I've never made a leotard before. So I made one for Mary Lou Retton, right? Like I'd set the bar really high for myself. And then so somewhere along the way, as I'm making this muslin, I'd sewed it together and I didn't realize that like my self-worth was being sewed into it. I didn't even see it happening. Um, to the point that when the muslin came off, there was just a lot of me in it. It wasn't 
just a coat anymore. It wasn't just a project anymore. It wasn't just an experiment anymore. It was who I was and whether I mattered all of a sudden. So I call him into my sewing room and I have him try it on. I ask him what he thinks and he tells me, it's a little loose here, it's a little snug here, doesn't quite fit like my store-bought ones, the sleeves need a little adjusting, the shoulders are a little this. It was honest feedback. It was necessary feedback. It was invited feedback. It wasn't about me. It was about the jacket. It was all fixable. And I melted down. Not like melted down, like sometimes we'll melt down. I hope it's not just me. And have a legit tantrum. Where in the process, like the train has left the station and we're all going for a ride. And in the process, there's like this moment where you're like, oh, yeah, it's happening. Right? Like sometimes we will have a, a serious actual tantrum and we can realize we're freaking out. Other times you freak out, but it's all on the inside where you think it doesn't show. And so you can tell yourself you're not freaking out. This was one of those. I took it personally, but all like on the inside of me. I felt hurt. Um, I felt judged. I felt inadequate. I felt rejected. He didn't say any of those things. He answered the questions I asked him about the jacket, which wasn't even finished. It was a practice run. But I felt so hurt, right? Because my ego was wrapped up in this sewing project. I couldn't, not only could I not separate the two of them out, I couldn't even see that that was what was happening. People, this was my first attempt at a new skill. I had never done this before. I knew that going in. I had set a challenge that I did not know if I could achieve it. This was a fantasy project. And I was actually ready to cry and or rage because the first attempt wasn't perfect. The minute you say it out loud, you're like, oh, huh. That's maybe a little crazy. It sounds foolish at a minimum. Like, did I expect to nail this new skill right out of the gate? That's unreasonable. But it didn't feel unreasonable. I know I am not the only one who has encountered these moments where the project becomes the project. That's when my reactions get bigger and bigger in relation to the expectations, almost always my own, placed on the outcome, which was always uncertain. So I set the sport coat aside. I took back this muslin and I put it in a basket of works in progress and I pretended to forget about it for years. And I, I don't mean like a year and a half, but every six weeks I would look at it. Sadly, I mean, I shoved that nonsense underneath anything I could shove it under for years, at least six years. I put it away. Probably because, and again, sometimes I think out loud when I tell these stories, probably because I needed to work out all that other stuff before I could work out this sport coat. I needed to figure out where I stop my me and my sewing begins. I needed to figure out where the gift separates itself from who I am, right? Like a gift is only a gift if it is freely given. You can't give someone a present and demand that they feel about it the way you think they should because that's literally not a gift. That's like saying, I'm giving you this outfit and I require you to wear it on these occasions. Okay, that's not a gift, right? Um, I needed to separate myself from the act of making this sport coat. That's not who I am. That's something I did. I needed to separate myself from his response 
to the sport coat. That's not how he feels about me. That's how he feels about the project, which is temporary and ephemeral and will literally rot someday. It's not about, you know, our feelings for each other. It's about his feeling for this project. But sewing can be so personal. You're literally six inches away from everything that you make while you're making it. It, it can be really hard to see it as the object it is rather than the feelings that are in it. And I needed, I clearly, it turns out, I needed at least six years to separate myself emotionally from this project and see it for what it was, just a thing, right? The gesture is the gift. And if that gesture comes loaded with expectation and requirement, it isn't much of a gift anymore. So somewhere in 2019, I, and I hope I can say honestly, after a, a good bit of personal growth, I found these pieces again. And isn't it funny how that happens, how we kind of hide things from ourselves until we're actually ready to look at them. I pulled these pieces out. I set them on my sewing table. I wasn't even sure I had them all anymore. Um, over the space of the years between starting and stopping, I had moved the muslin and the instructions and the linen kind of around and under and above. And and each time I moved it, it would sit. And, and I would do that thing where, um, you know, if you've got stairs in your house, you stack things on the stairs that belong to different members of your family. And we all have this like invisible assumption that they're going to see their own belongings and pick up their belongings and take them to where they belong. And then the whole family walks past them as if they are invisible. Why do we do that? It's such a weird thing to do. It's like we're hiding things from ourselves in plain sight. That is what I did with this coat. I hid it from myself in plain sight. I wanted to finish sewing. But the way I understand it now, I think I couldn't give myself permission. I didn't want to fail. I didn't want to feel inadequate. It was easier for a long time to make this project invisible, which is not the same as ignoring it. It's this weird unconscious thing that we do when we see slash don't see whatever, whatever's pushing on that bruise, because we would rather, we would rather not know that it still hurts when we touch it. And at some point, it stops hurting quite so much that we're able to look at it more closely, right? Eventually, um, it was hard to not see it anymore. And, you know, when the first time that I shared this story on my blog, I wrote about it as if it had physically moved closer and closer to my sewing machine, because in my memory, that is what happened. But I'm, I'm not convinced that's true, because I also remember it being in the exact same red wire basket for years. I think that it was emotionally, it got closer and closer to me to where I was able to look at it and not have all those painful feelings come up anymore. I was able to look at it and say, you know, this isn't even about me. It's just a project. And so I asked myself, does it still hurt to think about finishing this project? Do I still feel inadequate and afraid of failure? when I look at it? And the answer was, yes, I did. <laughs> and maybe you were expecting, and maybe it's supposed to be, that eventually I looked at it, and it didn't hurt so much. And suddenly I realized this is not about, it still hurt. It made me feel sad. I wanted to look at it and be like, I'm a grown-up now. Jubilee! And I did not. I still looked at it. I felt worried and anxious and afraid because I didn't want to fail. I didn't want to make something bad, heavy on the quotation marks, because that would make me feel foolish. I didn't want to set a challenge for myself and not meet it, because why would I try something if I didn't know I could succeed? But then one day, without, without processing it out loud, without going to my therapist, without hand-holding and without invitation, one day I realized I didn't trust that feeling that scared, anxious, worried feeling more than I trusted myself. I actually trusted myself more. That need for it to be perfect wasn't greater than the need for me to be who I want to be. In one conscious, active epiphany, I thought, you know, so what? So what if I fail? This is not the only sport coat in the universe. 
I will just try it again. I'll make another one. Or maybe this one won't suck. What if it all turns out? I'd never even finished it, you guys. <laughs> like all of this mental turmoil and anguish and all of these like calendar days, you know, like in a, in a you know, 1940s musical, the days are flipping off the calendar one after another, the pages, pages ripping off. And I hadn't even finished the first one, but I'm beating myself up because it wasn't perfect. The thing I hadn't finished, what? I realized I would never know if I didn't finish it and find out which is what I did. This burden of like, what if it isn't perfect, had cost me the years that I could have spent refining the skill, which would have made it perfect, right? Um, by delaying, because I was so afraid I would fail that I didn't even try, which means I never got better, and getting better would have stopped me from failing. So I finished it, and guess what? It's fine. It's totally wearable. At the same time, I mean, it's fine. It's not the work of a master tailor. It's way better than good enough, though. My husband has absolutely worn it in public. He has worn it on Zoom meetings. It's not like anybody's like getting that close to his lapel. And probably if anybody does get that close to his lapel, that is a conversation he should have with them. Like, why are you so close to my lapel? So the things that I was worried about being judged for are things that aren't going to happen, right? All those planner pages where I wrote lists of things to do, which I did not accomplish, and then I copied them over onto the next page and beat myself up because I didn't accomplish them. If they had been that important, someone would have noticed that they weren't done. You dig? So I'm beating myself up for not accomplishing tasks that couldn't have been that essential, or they would have mattered more when they weren't accomplished. <laughs> right? Like that's this level of perfectionism is crazy town. But it goes around and around and around in our lives. And in January, it seems to ramp itself up where everybody's like, new year, new you, or or they make a point of saying, new year, same you, right? And I'm actually not saying either of those things. What I'm saying is sometimes the planner is a gift and we turn that gift into a burden. And I would just like to continue to look at it as a gift. How do we look at our our planning stage, our our winter, as an opportunity to prepare the soil so that when we plant the seed, we have a greater opportunity of seeing it bloom. Had I looked at that muslin, that sport coat, as a sample, an experiment, a muslin, a practice run, perhaps I would have had an additional six years to master additional skills to make a sport coat that I was like, y'all, look at this. I didn't. I, I sacrificed those years. I gave them up. I gave them away and didn't grow either as a human or as a person who sews. Right. So, And I'm not beating myself up on that because there was growth happening. It was just very quiet growth. So maybe what I'm saying is don't let perfectionism stop you from trying the amazing projects you want to sew. And when perfectionism stops you from trying the amazing projects you want to sew, because it, it does happen, ask yourself if perhaps you have some learning to do before the perfectionism evaporates, right? Like I needed to get to a place where I trusted myself more than I trusted my anxiety or my worry or my fear. And it turns out that took me six years. You know, it is what it is, right? Some people are faster learners. Barbara Streisand and I are not. So here are the things that I took away from this experience. My five points where I learned more about who I am and how I sew because it took me so long to conquer sewing this sport coat project. Number one, I learned to take my own advice. I regularly tell students that, and the members at my League of Dressmakers, my club for garment sewing, I regularly tell them to jump in and try, even if you don't really know what you're doing. 
But sometimes I forget that after that initial jump, it's a long fall for most of us. And it's really, really uncomfortable. And, and so, you know, you get all that January advice, right? Where people were like, you know, leap and the net will appear. Yeah, they didn't tell me the net was going to be seven stories down. I don't enjoy that sensation. What I learned was to be softer with myself along the way. Not to not leap, not to not trust the net, but rather to recognize that it is a long fall down and, and to go easy on myself. Um. Maybe, maybe I was being softer with myself as I moved that pile of fabric with glacier-like speed closer to the sewing machine, whether that happened literally or emotionally. I should give myself credit for the fact that I ever got it there and finished it. Like, that does take character, and I'm proud of that. So I, I need to take my own advice to jump in and try, even if I don't know what I'm doing, but also be softer with myself because it can be very uncomfortable to do that. The second thing I learned was to step back. It is hard to be honest with myself when I am in the middle of big feelings, capital B, capital F, big feelings. It takes practice. I am deeply proud of how much I have grown in that regard. Like we've heard, a lot of us have heard, maybe from your Instagram therapist, like I did, to practice responding rather than reacting. And that is really difficult for me. So learning to be curious and to view myself with less judgment, stepping back from this sewing project, that was necessary in order to take me out of the equation. I had become my own roadblock. And I wish that at the time I had known to call it that. I'm grateful that today I know how to call it that. Stepping back rather than failing, right? Because the project wasn't finished yet, big quotation marks, as if one more way I screwed up was not hitting this like imaginary deadline that didn't even exist. I needed, I needed more time. I needed more space. I needed more you know, permission to feel the big feelings I was feeling before I finished sewing this project, right? Because it's kind of both at the same time. It's kind of like not a big deal, just finish the stupid jacket. But also, it's a big deal, right? Because I made it a big deal. And I needed a little bit of room to give myself permission to step back and, and, and brace myself for what needed to happen inside me before I could finish this sewing project. The third thing I learned was to stay resilient because after stepping back comes returning, returning with new eyes, hopefully. I needed that little kick from the inside that would allow me to come back to this project with a different attitude. I needed to be able to shake off this sense of failure about a sewing project without dismissing it. Right? Like, without telling myself, it's just a sewing project. What are you making a big deal of it for? Well, it was a big deal to me. It was, it mattered to me enough to get upset about it. So that means it mattered. Yeah? And I, I needed the room to, to allow myself to call it something other than failure without telling myself that's because it's not important. I needed to be able to come back, return to this sewing project without thinking that it's not okay to get overwhelmed, because it is. That it's not okay to lose sight of my best self, right? Like, it's okay. I, I want to learn to be someone I can trust to know myself. I want to remember why I started this project and decide if I still want to finish it. Maybe I didn't. But if the answer is yes... I needed a chance to offer myself empathy and patience and understanding because, yeah, sometimes stuff just takes eight years is the thing, right? We, we bounce back from hard experiences so that we can move in new directions. And that is true in sewing exactly the same as it is in life. The fourth thing I learned is that I get to choose when to be tenacious. Sticking with a sewing project solely for the purpose of seeing it through to the end has real value. But it only has value when we're honest with ourselves about why we're doing it. 
I had a stack of works in progress. This sport coat was not the only one. Things that I had cut out that had pattern pieces still pinned to them for years that I, I couldn't throw away. I just couldn't let go of them. And at one point, I dragged them all out and I said, I am not going to sew anything else until I finish these projects. Every single one of them, all of them, as I pulled them out and started to work on them, I discovered were things I didn't want. One was a dress, a shirt dress that I had started to make where I realized that the style was something I never would have liked. I was going to make it to hide a body that I wasn't satisfied was good enough, but I didn't like the style, so was it going to make me feel better? It was not. And I ended up cutting an entirely different pattern out of it, which I now wear constantly and love. Another was a garment that I looked at it and I was like, this fabric is not nice. It doesn't feel good in my hand. It doesn't feel good under the machine. It is not a color I want to wear. I truly do not even remember the person I was when I thought I wanted to make this. I think I was making this for the person I thought I was supposed to be. Trash. Never finished it. I don't even remember what the style was. Threw it all out. Another was a skirt. That good grief it was beautifully made I'd made the front it was a like a like a denim style like a jean skirt style with a front button and a front fly and it was beautifully made but it had all these panels and it was three sizes too big and there was no way to get it down to the size that I would wear today and I hung on to it and I hung on to it and I hung on to it thinking you know, like sunk cost fallacy. I've put so much into it already. I can't just throw it out now. Yes, you can. In the trash. Never finished it. Took some pictures of that beautiful fly to remind myself of how good my sewing can be. And then I tossed it out. I get to choose when to be tenacious. Otherwise, it's pointless torture. Right? This sport coat was one more example. I could have given up on it. I could have decided this wasn't the type of sewing I want to do. I could have decided I wanted to start over fresh with a different fabric or a different pattern. Um, I could have decided that I wasn't equipped emotionally to finish a project that I, I put so much meaning on. You know, like, can this coat even carry that much feeling? And all of those would have been valid choices as long as I'm telling the truth to myself and, and to my husband and to the coat, to be honest. You know, like, in the end, I decided I wanted to finish this coat. Because I wanted to keep the promise I made to myself. Because I discovered that if I did fail, then picking up an abandoned project was a great place to do that with less risk. Right? I wanted to be honest with myself that by finishing this project, I could promise myself that I really had learned to handle what happens when you fail, which is not much. Right? They're not going to stop making fabric. You could just make another one. But what I wanted to demonstrate to me was that I actually did believe that. I wasn't just saying it because it sounds good. And there was something in me that said, let's find out if, if you're telling yourself the truth. And maybe I I don't know. It's possible I could have found out I wasn't. It's possible I could have picked this up and tried it a second time and been like, nope, I don't really believe that. Mm -mm, nope, nope, nope. Um, that's not what happened. What I found out was that I really had learned and grown. And it was, it was such a good feeling, right? It was such a good feeling. The fifth thing I learned from this project was to love uncertainty. I hated the uncertainty of offering this sport coat to my husband, who wears a lot of sport coats, without knowing if it would be good enough. Like good enough, again, capital G, capital E, good enough. I, what I really hated was how the uncertainty about my own skills got mixed up with my self-worth. I really didn't like that. Um, I don't even really like saying that out loud because uh, I don't know how people take that. <laughs> Do you think less of me? Because I'm like, yeah, it turns out that I thought if this coat wasn't good enough, that would mean I'm not good enough. It, it feels very um, underdeveloped to say that, right? It, uncertainty scares me less now, a little bit less now. Um, 
primarily because I chose to push through because I kept this promise to myself, not to make the sport coat, but the promise to myself to discover, do you really believe that making a sport coat that's not great means your sport coat's not great rather than you're not great? Do you really believe that you're still good enough if the sport coat blows? I promised myself I would find that out by finishing this sewing project. I discovered that everything is uncertain all the time anyway, even when we think we have it figured out. And the regret that I would carry from not finishing this sewing project, even if it left me feeling unsatisfied, would be way bigger than the regret of knowing I did my best and failing. That felt like this big, this big like discovery for me. Had I continued to look at these cut pieces of this sport coat from the vantage point of perfectionism, had I kept treating it like the blank pages of a January planner and labored under this illusion, this time will be perfect, I never would have finished it. And if I hadn't finished it, I never would have discovered that I actually believe the things I say I believe which is itself kind of a lot of weight to put on a sewing project. And yet, here I am. Over the years since I started this sewing project, making this sport coat, I have occasionally gotten emails and comments, and honestly, (laughs) the times that I remembered it existed the most, were when I got an email or a comment where people said, where's the rest of this blog series? I also would like to sew a sport coat. Show us the way. I started writing about the project in the first place to keep myself motivated and accountable. Um, But taking my own advice from the five items I listed above, um, I'm not going to, I didn't finish the blog series and I'm not going to. Um, I, I started out blogging each step along the way and I was so um, conscientious about it. And I realized I had this moment of clarity as I was finally sitting down to actually sew it, that if I tried to sew it and write about it too, I might not ever finish sewing it. That when I came back to it, because I was already unpacking all this like, oh, emotional burden and perfectionism, I just couldn't add one more thing. I I think maybe because I felt like that would be disingenuous. It would be as if I were saying, see, it's easy. And it wasn't. It wasn't easy for me. The sewing wasn't hard. It was the stuff inside me that was a challenge. And, you know, I just didn't know how to share that at the time. So I just didn't finish the blog posts. Um, I'm never gonna. Uh, I went back to the muslin. I asked, like the exact same muslin. I didn't do anything in between. It sat for six years. And I pulled it out, asked my husband to try it on again. And this time, (laughs) talk about not knowing how how people are going to respond when I tell the truth. This time, I listened. Hmm. And I stepped back, or I tried to, um, so that I was only thinking about the project and not like my ego, my sense of meanness, my sense of value. I listened to him. And bless him, he told me the same things he told me before with only a little bit more caution (laughs) in his voice. I got out my tailor's chalk. I marked the places he wanted to change the fit. I made some notes, took out the basting stitches. I used the pieces that I'd marked up to cut the actual fabric and I started sewing and I didn't stop until I was finished with the outer shell. Like, like I really needed to, this was very much like me on the high dive. I have climbed this ladder and I'm standing there doing my deep breathing and I had to run to the end of that diving board and like, right? Because there was just enough fear left in me that I I wanted to get a running start. I'm not superhuman. Um, Spiritual awakenings don't happen in one day, you guys. So I finished the outer shell to his specifications and Valentine's Day of 2020, I gave it to him with a card that said, a work in progress is a beautiful thing. Metaphor, metaphor, metaphor. 
So that summer, I finished the whole thing. Um, Because Valentine's Day 2020, (laughs) we didn't really know what was coming. And then there it was. Um, So he wore it under lockdown to all these like Zoom meetings. Um, And then when we were allowed to go back out into the world, he wore it back out into the world. Uh, And that ended up being kind of a nice thing for me. Like it was nice to watch. Here's this project that I emotionally labored over for so long and was so perfectionist and weird about. And then when he finally did wear it, it was on a screen. And like nobody's looking at it that closely. Like what were you so wound up about, dude? What did I think people were going to say? Right? And then, you know, so I kind of like, I got to ease into it, right? Here, I think I'm leaping off the the high dive, and I'm actually in the infinity pool, like barely walking into the non-shallow end, you know, whatever. Um, And then he wore it out into the world, and we've taken pictures together, and like we did it like a, a motorcycle ride, like a group motorcycle ride where he wore it, and it was amazing, right? He took it with us when we went on a trip. I mean, talk about the ultimate act of endorsement. He can only select X number of garments to put into his suitcase, and he chose the jacket that I made. (sighs) Felt really good. What was I so worried about? That he wouldn't like the sport coat, and that would make him like me less? Yes. Haven't we all done that in some way? Haven't we all? Like, you know, you get perfectionist, and you tell yourself it's the project but it's not, right? Like we've all made something as a gift and worried that how it was received was not about the gift, it was about me. We've all wrapped ourselves up in stuff like that. We've all wrapped ourselves up in making a project and thinking if it isn't good enough, heavy quotation marks, because who gets to decide good enough? That somehow that reflects that we're not good enough? That was totally what I was worried about. A gift isn't a gift if we offer it with expectations for ourselves. That's not a gift. I offered to do a generous thing for my husband. He accepted my offer. His feedback hurt my feelings. Rather than walk that through as a team where I said, hey, that hurt my feelings. Why? Why did that hurt my feelings? And him say, really? That surprises me because you asked. And I, you know, I ditched the project. That was about me. It had nothing to do with my sewing. Lots of sewing projects are gifts. Lots of them aren't well received, right? How many stories have we all heard about you make something handmade and somebody tosses it in the trash? Boo on them, but you know, that's about them. That's not about you, right? Let's just say there's somebody out there who will never again get a lemon poppy seed pound cake from my kitchen because it went straight in their garbage can. That's cool. Maybe she's allergic to poppy seeds. I don't know. That's about her. That's not about me. Making and giving can exist independent of the reception of the thing you make and give. I needed a crucible to teach me to see that more clearly in myself because it was invisible to me. When I open up that planner in January and I start making a list of things to sew in 2020 whatever, whatever year it is, I I still can't always see that this isn't about my identity. I needed a place to learn to see that more clearly. That I can make something and enjoy the process and then release it into the world with an open hand. Whether that's because it was a gift that I gave somebody and I let it go because once you give it, it's not yours anymore. Or because it was an object that I made that now exists apart from me. Where my identity and that object aren't wrapped up in one another. If it's received well, either by the recipient or by the world at large, that's awesome. It's joyful. But there are a billion reasons why a sewing project might not land quite right. And none of them are about my value, my identity, not even when I have labored over it, right? So I will cheerfully make more things for my husband. I will cheerfully make more things for myself. I will cheerfully make more things as experiments, right? Because I am learning with each thing I make that the joy is in the discovery. That when we put these perfectionist demands on ourselves to achieve you know, whatever it is we think we're going to achieve, like this is the sewing project that will make me a real sewer. 
whatever whatever burden we're putting on it. Um, if we can let go of those things, we try more stuff which actually gets us closer to the goal. That weird blank planner page of perfectionism is a trick. It convinces us that we have to do it right the first time. But when you expect yourself to do it right the first time, you hardly ever get a chance to get it right. So, I'm suggesting that we all let go of perfectionism this January, and maybe every other day of the year, that we make sewing plans that are big and bold and exciting. Life-size replica of the Statue of Liberty made out of fabric. Do it. Do it. Because what happens if you fail? Nothing. Nothing happens. Except that maybe you get a little bit closer to being the person you most want to be. Because you are learning to tell yourself the truth about who you are and what you believe. That is my wish for you in this new year and in every day of every year. Have fun sewing. Thanks for listening.